Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's David Tuttle and Astros master of banter, Blummer. Welcome back to another episode of Bleacher Blums. I am your co-host, Jeff Blum, 14-year Major League veteran, and I am currently the color commentator on everybody's favorite team, the Houston Astros across the country, just bashing or loving the Houston Astros. And I'm their color commentator. I love my job. And I'm also uh, joined on this podcast of Bleacher Blums with my co-host, David Tuttle. David Tuttle, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so uh, played professional baseball for nine years. Good friend of Blummer, a coattail rider. Uh, went to Santa Clara University, was an All-American pitcher there. And, uh, and uh, as you mentioned, a co-host of the Bleacher Blums podcast here on the left coast. And I know uh, you're there in the third coast. But uh, yeah, welcome in, everybody. This is a, a new venture for us, uh, the Blue Wire uh, Podcast Network. And we're really excited to be a part of that. And uh, here we go. This is our usual podcast. Yeah, and I hope that everybody found us easy enough. I know that not much has changed other than the label that is going to be on our logo, recognizing the fact that we have joined a a strong podcast network in the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Tuttle was talking about you can go to bluewirepods.com and check out some of their other shows because we are going to be working very hard to mix in with Blue Wire and do a good job for everybody. So we're excited about that. Uh, We are still just uh, doing the same old thing. We're going to be talking baseball. We're going to be talking parenting. We're going to be talking about a lot of sports. And, uh, you know, it's been a slow week for me. It's been a busy week. I always say it's a slow week, but it's actually been a very busy week for me when I say that, just because I haven't been able to maybe pull my focus a little bit away from from my normal, everyday, regular job of, of watching the Houston Astros. And it's probably been one of the best weeks of the season for me, just in the sense that it was a nine-game homestand. I got to sit in in my normal spot in the booth at Minute Maid Park, watch professional baseball in person, and we are headed back to the studio as the Astros head out on the road, which absolutely sucks a pile of, you know what, uh, I'm not looking forward to it. I look forward to seeing the people that are in the studio, but I don't look forward to calling games in the studio because it's absolutely one of the hardest things to do. But uh, the Astros played the LA Dodgers, split with them. Played the San Diego Padres, lost two out of three to them when they should have won two out of three. Just some poor management and poor bullpen usage and poor bullpen pitching contributing to that. And then the Astros went on to uh, pretty much beat the pants off of uh, the Boston Red Sox in dramatic fashion. And what kind of showed me throughout the course of this is that the National League West, and you can talk to this a little bit too, Tuttle, because you're a do- you're a uh, Dodger. I almost said Dodger Ouch. fan. Uh, yeah, not even close. Uh, NorCal guy is what Tuttle is, and he is a giant guy. But the Giants are playing extremely well in the National League West, kind of forgotten about. But in watching the Dodgers and Padres play, I can tell you that those are two of the best teams I have seen all season long, and I was very impressed with what they were able to go out there and do. Uh, the Astros weren't at full strength, but at the same time, I think even if they were, the Dodgers would have split that series and maybe you know maybe a little more competitive against the San Diego Padres. But I was thoroughly impressed with the Dodgers and one 
Fernando Tatis Jr. I thought he is, I think he's an off the charts, freakishly good type of talent and good for the game. Yeah. Uh, well, welcome in uh, everybody to the Bleacher Blums podcast. And we're jumping right into baseball today. I did want to say one other thing, Blummer, and I agree with you that when you say it's a slow week, I think for me, that usually means it's been a really busy week outside and I couldn't put together enough thoughts or topics for the podcast, but, uh, <laughs> but we always seem to string it together and we welcome everybody in. Like I said, the Blue Wire Network podcast group is something that we're proud to be a part of and hopefully expand our audience and you guys will enjoy what we bring to the table. So to the National League West, I mean, I think we've said this before. I mean, there are just some people that transcend the game. Mike Trout gets kind of lost in the shuffle because uh, he's on a non-playoff team. But uh, but Tatis Jr., I mean, I, I think the Padres paid him because they saw the talent that he has. But watching him, like you said, more regularly than I watch other players because I'm looking at the National League West with the Padres, the Dodgers, the Giants. I, I hope the Giants stay under the radar. Um, you know, they have a really, they have a solid, complete team. And I think we touched on this either on the podcast or off when we talked about the Astros bullpen last time. And I think that's where you see, um, you were thoroughly impressed. You've been around the game a long time where you see the complete teams. I mean, the Padres don't have a shortage of anything. They have a really strong lineup. They have a decent starting staff and their bullpen is strong with the Dodgers. We know their payroll is high. Uh, Bellinger just came back into the lineup. You're going to see a complete team. They've got, uh, you know, all angles covered. Their platoon guys are solid. Their starting rotation is obviously one of the best in baseball. And then they have a strong bullpen as well. Um, Kenley Jansen, again, comes up every year in this thought podcast. We're on year three, I think, <laughs> or at least year three of baseball season uh, for our podcast. And, uh, and I'm just, you know, I mean, he's not Mariano Rivera. He was Mariano Rivera for a couple years, but I think mm-hmm. that's where they can get into trouble, to be honest with you, as that end of the game. But I mean, they're, they're solid throughout and I think the rest of uh, the baseball audience and, and um, viewership and anybody that's into Major League Baseball will certainly be able to see that uh, the Dodgers and Padres are, you know, two of the stronger teams in baseball. Yeah, and, and that's it's an interesting uh, situation out there in the West. I love the fact that the Giants have kind of snuck in there a little bit. And uh, you are, as far as this podcast is concerned, I get locked in on baseball, obviously, because of my job and what I'm doing on a daily basis. I try to take a peek at what's going around, but uh, Tuttle is definitely the guy that's a little more well-rounded as far as the sports commentary is concerned. And I know that this is an interesting time because, you know, with the COVID era and the NBA and how they handled the bubble situation and then the quick turnaround to get back to their regular season has been very interesting. But this is playoff season in the NBA, and it kind of goes goes you know by without being talked about much. I feel like I've heard more about the NHL playoffs than I have heard about the NBA playoffs. And granted, it's only the first round, but an interesting first round to say the least. And I know that Tuttle has been keeping his eye on the NBA because he can and because he finds it interesting. But I know that there were some interesting happenings in that first round. Uh, you know, LeBron James has been knocked out of the first round. But uh, I think there's been some interesting interaction, maybe in places where or situations where we don't normally anticipate having fan interaction. It's not the, it's not the days of when Meta World Peace was uh, Ron Artest and he was going up into the stands and trying to beat the pulp out of fans for throwing things, but a little bit different situation happening in the NBA. And I, th- I was kind of curious to hear about this total. Yeah, so it's a good, good comparison. I mean, I, I don't know if it's simply, uh, the NBA. I mean, yes, I, I think I have a little more free time to watch, uh, you know, all the sports that are going on, hockey included. Um, you know, there's been some sp- suspensions in hockey lately. I mean, playoff hockey is a really fun sport to watch, but man, it's 
It is. That's a rough, rough deal sometimes with those guys getting after each other. But um, yeah, back to your point about the fan incidents. I mean, um, we've seen a little bit in baseball as well, guys jawing. Uh, I actually heard a podcast recently with Metal World Peace, uh, Ron Artest on there, and he was talking about some of the regrets he had, um, you know, with Malice at the Palace. But he uh, he was saying that, you know, that these guys did cross the line. I mean, they, you know, the guy bet the other guy 50 bucks to, you know, throw something at one of the players. And anyway, so we saw an incident with Kyrie Irving. Somebody threw a water bottle at him. We saw another incident where somebody looked like they spit on somebody. They slowed that down and somebody spit on a yeah, player. Yeah, was that Trey Young up in uh, New York? Yeah, yeah. Somebody Square spit Garden. on, yeah. So Trey Young got spit on. Kyrie Irving got something. that Somebody else uh, with Durant, they threw popcorn or a water bottle on uh, Westbrook. Somebody poured popcorn on uh, oh, Russell wow. Westbrook, which that's a guy I wouldn't mess with any day of the week. But I mean, you know, there's a lot. So that's three incidents in one week, essentially going on. And um, and it's unfortunate. I mean, I think we can continue to blame like social media and, you know, your five seconds of fame. There was another guy that rushed the court somewhere. Uh, gosh, I saw that where the player was standing there it was funny, but some guy rushed the court and got into the key or got into the lane and they had him pinned down. Yeah. And uh and I think, you know, with Twitter, like, hey, I'm going to get on Twitter, or, you know, this is going to trend or I'm going to be, you know, part of the story. And um, you already mentioned COVID and why things is that like that. Yeah, I don't I don't know why it's a thing, but it, it needs to stop. And I think that people forget that, you know, I mean, there are a lot of things like this in the world, right? This is your profession. You know, you go to work every day, you do, you know, your job for eight hours a day or 10 hours a day, and then you go home. People forget that this is their job. And I mean, I think there's always been a, a disparity between reality and maybe some perception or perspective because it's an entertainment type job and you're doing it in front of people and you do get paid uh, quite a bit of money. But I, I just don't, I don't understand it. And I don't think that getting banned from a stadium for life or an arena for life is worth doing any of this. And the other thing is the repercussions. I mean, one of these days, something's going to happen, you know, that's going <laughs> that, to, that's going to cross the line. And it may be another like malice at the palace. I mean, you may get your, the, the crap beat out of you by some guy that's six six two fifty. You know, yeah, I, dude. I wouldn't want to pour popcorn on LeBron or throw something at LeBron and then see what he's going to do. I mean, this is not, you're not at the zoo. This isn't like feeding the otters at the zoo and you're not throwing things in the, in you know into the into the water to watch the ducks eat i mean you're there <laughs> to enjoy it and interact with it and most arenas i mean i saw um ja morant's parents got um kind of accosted in utah and the next time they went out to utah even though utah ended up winning the series they gave the parents like courtside seats and it was interesting to hear ja morant's dad talk about like everywhere we go I have great banter with the fans. They know I'm John Morant's dad. And they're like, hey, like, look at that. He traveled. And, you know, he said that he's saying that it's really like a friendly type of like banter back and forth until somebody crosses the line, which, you know, a couple of people did. And, you know, Blummer, you've been around the game a long time and, you know, they do a pretty good job of, you know, having security and people around. But, you know, like the family mm -hmm. sections, especially during the playoffs, oh, man. Um, can get a little, you know, they want to be careful and cautious about those things. I mean, what? why do you think this is happening? Is it strictly social media? And, and what kind of incidents have you seen over the course of your career? I, you know, uh, the, I mean, you could peel back the onion on this thing just real quick. And I don't want to get into societal issues, but I know that society, society has become much more divisive and and polarized so everybody's picking a side for whatever reason even right here in America where we should all be on the same team and have competitive uh you know allegiances to teams and have that kind of fun because 
once you start to, you know, outdo one another or put down the other person, you know, for the, for where they're from or who they're cheer for, that's where you start to get a little more personal. And I think everybody's ego, everybody's so sensitive about their ego that they want to, you know, stand up, put their chest out and go, no, man, you're wrong. Do my team's the best. And if you say anything wrong about them, I'm going to brawl with you. And I don't understand why we have to get to that brawl situation. But I do think that social media, fuels that idea because we can all sit behind our keyboards and and fire out a text or a tweet or a comment on an article and you know feel like a badass you know making a point or putting down the opposing fan or player and get away with it but when it starts to creep onto the court or into the stadiums I think you start to run into some issues because there will be consequence you know there is no consequence on social media all you're going to get back is either a uh, you know, a, a tweet back or a retort, you know, and that's it. And you can kind of let it or a block, you know, rub off your right? shoulder or you can block them or you can mute them and you can ignore it. Whereas if you start doing this stuff in person, there is going to be a consequence. You know, you see it in the, in the stands, you know, when the Dodger fans are in Houston and everybody starts popping off and uh, then you got to go to fisticuffs and everybody looks like an idiot for fighting. But uh, when you start throwing stuff at players, that's where I think it's wrong because you're right. Those guys are out there performing. Yes, they're getting paid a ton of money, but to, to physically do something or throw something at a player, I just think is wrong in the sense that there's got to be an appreciation or a respect. And there's nothing that that guy has done on the court physically playing against your team that I think warrants that kind of action towards them. I don't know. Yeah. And I always enjoyed, you know, I, w- I wasn't a marquee player. Uh, you know, I played on teams with with guys that were controversial or antagonists. You know, A.J. Pierzynski is a guy that comes to mind. Uh, Milton Bradley's another guy that comes to mind, you know, where the fan interaction went a different way. But as far as my interaction with fans, I love being able to talk trash back to them, you know, or if they were saying something to me. You know, San Francisco was actually a place where I had a lot of interaction with fans because I was, you know, I went to school up there. Uh, there was history. They did their homework, but the second they slipped up and I was quick enough to get, you know, get back at them, I could yell something back and it became like a really good, respectful, you know, interaction with the fans. And I think that, uh, the, you know, hopefully those times aren't lost on, on the fact that, you know, a few, a very few fans are taking it into their own hands, but who does this for 50 bucks? I mean, set yeah. the bar a little bit higher, man. Do it for, you know, a couple hundred bucks. Make it worth your <laughs> while. 50 bucks? Come on. Yeah. Hey, that was malice in the palace. I think there's an inflation now has probably kicked in. Yeah, that was malice. That I was hope way so, back man. in the day. 50 bucks. You're, I mean, you're almost paying that much for a water bottle these days. There you go. Hey, you know what's funny is you just brought up a really good point because, you know, even coming through the minor leagues, there was a couple of cities that there these guys would like do their homework. Mm-hmm. They'd do some research and they'd get like where you went to college and what your mascot was. And, you know, the banter was great. And and as a as a competitor, you kind of like that. And, and you know, I know you went yes. to Berkeley and I went to college as well. So there was this how witty could you be? How witty could they be? How witty can mm-hmm. you be? Right. And then it was a really fun. Like you said, it's almost like you would look forward to the interaction or if you went to that stadium again and those people had the same tickets, the season tickets, you're like, oh, there they are. <laughs> and then you're like, hey, how's it going? And you do build a mutual respect with these fans who you may or may not ever see again. And that part of it makes it fun. I mean, that's part of the job yeah. that's fun. And I think to your point, I think we see this in many industries and we're very divisive and it's politicized. But 
uh, it's one bad apple or a few bad apples spoiling it for the rest of us. And I think I think that's one thing you need to remember that it is a very few. Yep. And that's all I was going to say. So if it's one bad apple, I think we're still good because uh, you know for the most part, I think everybody's on on par. So so when you were in the minor leagues and you were you were playing in some of these cities, I remember uh, in A ball, my first time playing minor league ball. It was I think it was Auburn, New York. It was the Auburn Astros actually, and I was playing with the uh, Vermont Expos, and there was this guy just wearing me out, or I, I was the you know I was the strikeout guy that day if I. I struck out everybody got free oh, yeah. beers or something like oh, yeah, that yeah that's right we used to have discount beers the strikeout guy yeah. yeah so they would pick a player on the opposing team that came in and i you know i'm that guy every once in a while you know and i'd get to a two strike count you could you know the hundred thousand people that were there would just all of a sudden be on their feet cheering for the pitcher and then you get a base hit and you start pointing to the stands i mean did you ever have that moment where like somebody was just tearing into you letting you have it and all of a sudden you'd like you know, you strike the guy out or you strike out the side or you throw six shutter and you're like, uh-huh, what now? Yeah, <laughs> you know, like funny. pointing to the stands or that one fan that's like just been riding in. You're like, yeah, I stepped up and you kind of get that, that cheapest yeah. tip of the cap from the, from yeah. that fan that's wearing you out. Yeah. Oh gosh. We had stuff like that all the time. I mean, that's just the nature of being a competitor. I remember it more being the home guy. Like, you know, we're like, who's the strikeout batter of the, you know, the Tuesday night K batter. <laughs> and if you yeah. paid him on the mound, you were like, you were the hero. Like, yeah. Then you're the hero. Yeah. I love that. So yeah, there was a little extra motivation and it is funny because we often talk about blocking out the surrounding, like the noise and the, <laughs> the, 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 the distractions. Let's be honest. You, you hear most of it. You do. I mean, of course. I mean, you hear it, but I always thought, I always found this too. Like we talked about this before, like, you know, bigger crowds, it was more of a buzz. Like it was harder to pick out stuff. So it was almost easier sometimes to play in front right. of a bigger crowd because it was a collective sigh or a collective this, you know, in front of 1500 fans, you know, you got that one guy with the loud voice going, Hey, Hey, knucklehead, your shoes untied. And you're like, oh, yeah, I just in your guy. ear, you hear everything. Yeah. But again, the home crowd was always great. When you struck out the K batter, there was a little extra like, yeah, right on. Maybe mm-hmm. you get a free beer after the game or something because you got discount. Oh, fans beers loved everybody. it, man. Yeah. So I don't know why they don't do more things like that in the big leagues. I know they have like run the bases, you know, with the with your favorite player. They have these like, you know, they have a lot of. Well, you know, what sucks is, is this whole COVID yeah. stuff that's still going on. You know what? You know, what's crazy to me is to. To sit at Minute Maid Park, have 100% capacity, and then watch the Yankees, the Dodgers. Uh, I haven't seen too many giant games on TV or, you know, these big matchups, you know, between teams where Boston goes into New York and there's 25% capacity. I mean, it's kind of frustrating. I understand that it's a, you know, it's a local, you know, uh, you know, rules Ordinance and stuff like that whatever, that are being. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I understand that, but it, I, I kind of feel, and this might be the only time you ever hear me say this is, you know, I kind of feel for opposing fans everywhere else because they're not getting the pure enjoyment yeah. that, uh, that the, that, you know, some teams are, I mean, it's not just the Astros. There's plenty of other teams across the league. Atlanta, I believe is up to hundred percent and the watching these Texas, fans go out there. The loose Texas restrictions, like open up everything. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Well, you know what it reminds me of every time, you know, having been out here and lived here for, I think this is my 10th year off and on, but five years, four years consistently in the last, mm-hmm. since I've moved here in 2017 is I'm reminded when I got traded here in 2002 from Montreal and I met Lance Berkman for the first time. Uh, Scott Linebrink is another guy that comes to mind. These true Texan guys. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, the first thing I think Lance said to me is like, welcome to the ball club and welcome to the country of Texas. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) 
<laughs> I was like, wait, what? He's like, no, we, we are, we are a separate entity down here in Texas. And that's, that's kind of right. the mentality down here, which is kind well, of Well, and he was a Texan now playing with Houston, which was great that he was drafted oh, yeah. almost like the local guy drafted Dude, because Scott Linebrink, I literally. played against and Scott Linebrink, I played against in double A and triple A and he had got drafted okay. by the Giants. So here's this guy yeah, out in Fresno right. and he's out in <laughs> Fresno, like, you that's know, the Texas Fresno's, of California. Well, that's right. The Texas of California, but he was a Texan. I mean, this guy, after the game, if boots. he showered and somehow like boots and belt buckle and he'd get into this diesel truck <laughs> and you're like, I thought we were in California, you know, you're like, all right, but you know, you don't, you don't choose where you get drafted by, but if you're drafted love it. out of the country of Texas into uh, another organization, then, you know, I don't know if he would have fit in so well with the New York Yankees, but I remember playing against Linebrink thinking, yeah, that, I mean, you know, he was Texan through and through and probably still is. It's good stuff. Yeah. No, he really is. I, I was going to say you were mentioning opening it up. It was still funny to watch uh, some of the NBA guys games with the cardboard cutouts as well. And that's what you were just saying about opening it up. Like here we have a yeah. playoff game and there's some cardboard cutouts sitting over there. So the best way to learn a language immersion living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts that help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Anyway. And if you've been a fan of uh, Bleacher Blums, you've been listening to our podcast, you've been going to our website, bleacherblums.com, to let us know what you're thinking about the podcast. And one thing we always ask is that you do rate, uh, review, and make sure you subscribe so that we get the downloads. Therefore, we can give you more info and be a little more consistent, and we can stay in touch in that way. And the reason I bring that up is because last podcast, I, for whatever reason, we have been very good and very consistent about kind of staying ahead ahead of the trends. And one of the trends going around right now, we, we picked up on a situation, a sticky situation, if you go back and listen to the previous podcast, uh, where we talked about an issue with Gallegos, a pitcher for the St. Louis Cardinals, manager Mike Schilt coming out and uh, in defense of his pitcher who had his hat thrown out of the game because of a uh, possibility of having a foreign substance. And now all of a sudden, it has become an issue in Major League Baseball. I'm not sure if you if you heard about this, Tuttle, but the third baseman, I believe, for the Minnesota Twins, Josh Donaldson, is a guy who said he, – he tweeted out the other day. I'm not sure what threat it was on, but he actually tweeted out and said that he has a catalog of videos that he is waiting to release. Um, the Rangers actually had a minor league guy – and this is kind of interesting, too. You brought up a good point in our little pre, pre-podcast talking session – that there was a uh, guy in A-ball for the Rangers who got caught with uh, a sticky foreign substance that he was using on the baseball. He had it on his belt. 
and was uh, booted out of a game and actually suspended 10 games, which I think is pretty interesting. And then there was also a situation where the Chicago White Sox broadcast team, uh, most notably Steve Stone, noticed that a Cleveland pitcher, Corinne Chack, I think is the guy's name, was actually going to his, his red glove and it had a black spot on the interior of his red glove that he kept, uh, you know, t- putting his two fingers to and rubbing on the baseball. And we were talked about that. I don't have an issue with it. I, I, I think guys that need control and need the spin, uh, go ahead and get it. Don't be egregious about it and don't do the Michael Pineda pine tar on the neck type situation. That seems to be a little extreme and obnoxious. If you can be more subtle about it, I would appreciate that. But And don't be egregious in the sense that you're just going to go out there and slop that ball up and go out there and do that. But now it has gotten to the league office, and Rob Manfred has stated in a USA Today article, I believe, uh, that came out and said that he is going to try and police this thing. And I'm kind of curious your thoughts. Are they going to be able to police this? But uh, also talk about that, uh, you know, this is something – talk about the minor league situation with that guy being suspended because this goes back to something we've talked about quite a bit with some of the crazy rules that Major League Baseball tries to institute. Yeah, no, you brought up a couple of good points uh, right there, which, you know, I, I think in general, they try and test these things out in the minor leagues. Um, I, you know, exactly. and these, a lot of these are unwritten rules. Like you said, they were talking about it, putting the mound back another foot or two and they, you know, like the having an extra base. base. Yeah. Like, I mean, these are just silly things. And so when I was playing, we had the dip police, you know, no Copenhagen or school in the minor leagues, but every, I remember that. Yeah. But every big league clubhouse, they would bring out the Copenhagen and they would bring out the chewing tobacco along with the sunflower seeds and the gum. I mean, basically you're grown ass men, you know, you're an adult (laughs) and you know, you you know, it's legal. The stuff is legal, by the way, you can go to any 7-Eleven or, yeah. Yeah. I mean, hello. (laughs) So you're not allowed to have it. And you're in the minor leagues, you would get suspended or you get a letter and a fine saying, Hey, you shouldn't be doing this. But then, you know, you get to the big leagues and all of a sudden the union has your back rightfully so, which is great. But I think it's really interesting when they, you know, this was kind of the steroids thing too. They were, they were trying to hammer the steroid issue, but they were hammering the minor league guys first, Mm -hmm. you know, and those guys were just trying to emulate their stars this is this is the funny part right well, Where, yeah you see guys getting paid and you see guys getting yeah. contracts or making yeah. it to the big leagues and you're like i need an edge yeah. and that's how they that's found right. it everything's that's about right. getting an edge right and it wasn't just steroids that's what i'm saying like gary sheffield never had a a, a, a dip of copenhagen in while he was just you know oh, wiggling the God. bat and doing yeah. yeah so well tony Gwynn, for an example too i mean it's not necessarily it's a good thing to follow i'm just saying the freedoms that the big leaguers have should be the freedoms throughout professional baseball. And it seems really kind of, and this was my point, I think that you wanted me to bring up to go to an A ball guy in Texas, you know, the Texas organization and find him, you know, suspend him 10 games for having a little substance on his glove when they're not doing anything in the big leagues, as you already mentioned that Josh Donaldson already nailed these guys. And then back to the unwritten rule that we brought up, we're ahead of the curve. We brought up last podcast, the unwritten rule is like, look, Guys have pine tar or rosin. I mean, they even have a rosin bag on the mound. I mean, for Pete's sake, why is the rosin bag there? Why do they let guys lick their fingers? Why are they? Because they want them to have a good grip on the baseball. You as a hitter have said this before. You want those guys to have an idea where it's going. Um, It's hard enough to hit as it is, but, you know, when guys are, you know, nuclelouche, right? They don't have an idea (laughs) where they're, the ball's all over the place. Those guys are really difficult to hit. And I think, um, you know, when you talk about Manfred policing this and you talk about so-and-so got caught with this, let's, I've said this a million times, broken record, anybody listening to Bleacher Blum's podcast, 
let's establish what the rules are. What are the rules? And then we'll play oh by those gosh, rules. Oh my gosh, a good point. So yeah. if man, what, what is Manford going to police? That's what Mike Schultz said. Like, what are you going to police? Like, uh, you know, if you're putting a substance on the ball and it's acting in, an, in a manner that's unorthodox, right? Like that's why knuckleballers are so hard to hit. I knew guys that used to and put spit, and or, that's why spitballs were eliminated because it, that's it, right. it doctored the ball. It doctored the ball. So if you're if you're doctoring the ball, then you should be policed. Then you should be you know that should be eradicated. You should be tossed out of the game, or you should be you know suspended or fined. If you're not doctoring the ball and the ball, like you said, if you're just you know your rotation's the same, your spin's the same, you're just getting a better grip on the ball, then just leave it be. I mean, again. I don't know if we're ahead of the curve or we're just dismissive of the fact that this is really kind of a non-issue. If guys are cheating, those guys should be called out. If they're not cheating and they're doing what's Mm -hmm. been accepted in the unwritten rule, then just let them do it. Like, are we really looking for black spots? I'm going to, I'm looking up because I have hats in my office. Dude. I have hats in here. Yeah. I'm going to get one next podcast and find one that I wore like for the whole season. And the brim has like a dark spot on it from every time I lick my finger. From the mud. Yeah. yeah, mud, dirt. I mean, you know, your hands are dirty. Like this is just, it's just from wear and tear. It's almost like from friction. So I, I just, I don't get what they're going to police. So tell us what the rules are. Tell us what, what you're trying to, you know, eradicate yeah, it's, it's from interesting the game because, and then let's go to work. No, it, it is. And you do have to clarify the rule because it does become semantics. Cause you know, you said something in there that is, you know, like the pitcher cannot doctor the ball. So that, you know, that was the, who was it? Phil Necro with the sandpaper, you know, it's the guys that scuff the ball when they pick it up off the dirt, you know, I mean, they're throwing every single baseball out of the game these days. If it's a ground ball, if a guy hits a ground ball, it goes to the authenticator and it gets authenticated and it goes into the team store as a game used baseball that you can buy. You know, that's, what's crazy to me. Uh, Guys would, you know, sharpen the, the, you know, on your belt buckle, the, the, yeah. The yeah, the, part that yeah, goes the through the loop. part that goes through the hole. Yeah, the loop. Yeah, they, yeah. they used to they would, sharpen, they would sharpen that. Yeah. And then you, you come set, scuffing on your belt buckle and go. It was like being a prison inmate. Like, hey, where? how do we sand <laughs> this thing down? You're on the concrete step in the in the, in the the walkway, yeah. like <laughs> filing it down. So so that's where, you know, doctoring the ball. That's, that's where, that's where I get it. And then you say foreign substance. So the pitcher cannot, is it, are they going to figure out that you don't, or are they going to state in a rule that says you cannot use a foreign substance on your finger to put on the baseball? I mean, yeah. it starts to get what a little sketchy in between. And I like your idea of what are the rules? You have to define the rules. And how about this? Once you define the rules, guess what? They're going to figure out a way to get around the rules yeah. because that's that's just what players do when they're trying to compete and get that edge. And it's kind of funny to me that you know they're they're using it to get a better grip. Hitters use it to hold on to the bat. You know what if the, what if hitters couldn't hold on to the bat or have sticky substances on their bats? Yeah. All of a sudden, you know, bats are flying, baseballs are flying, and it turns into a complete yard sale. But uh, I think your point about the minor league guy getting suspended, you know, that's the whole nip it in the bud type situation where they try and police it in the minor leagues so that by the time that guy gets to the big leagues, he's scared out of his mind to break the rule or he's been conditioned to not use the substance. And I think that's where the minor leagues get used as a guinea pig or a, 
or a foundation for, you know, in years to come on being able to police this maybe a little bit better because there's going to be some salty, grumpy, old, pissed off veterans that you're going to try and do this to that are going to be pissed. Remember the Phil Necro video? That was my favorite where so he's like, I didn't oh, have yeah, any like, substance. He dropped it on the ground. He's like, well, I, got, I don't have anything. That was the best video. <laughs> you can go back and YouTube that. He's got his glove yeah. and it's like, I don't have anything. It. What are you talking about? <laughs> There's nothing to see here. He pulls it out of his back pocket. His back pocket's like hanging inside out. And he's like, nothing in my back pocket. You You know, a couple really good things there. And it's funny. I mean, the steroid era did not start from a ball and move its way into the big leagues. I mean, this is, and I, mm-hmm. I keep bringing up steroids. Steroids started with, like you said, Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco, and then it went to Giambi, and then Giambi told his brother, and his brother went down to double A, <laughs> and it went, no, and, and I'm not not throwing the Giambis under the bus. I'm just saying in general, right? It trickles down. It's the same thing with this. That A-ball guy with the Texas Rangers, he didn't come out of high school going, oh, yeah, I had a lot of success putting pine tar on the baseball. I'm going to doctor this. And then, oh, I got suspended 10 games. And then now the double-A guy goes, hey, what's that guy doing? And now up to triple-A to the big. Mm -hmm. It's the other way around. It's the same reason they police the tobacco and all that stuff. So whatever they're doing in the big leagues, to your point about being successful, and if they change the rules, then guys find a way around those rules. But I think we need to know what the rules are. And as you said, I think doctoring the baseball, we're, and this happens with the media, guys that didn't play and people that don't understand the game and how the unwritten rules thing, all that works. What happens is we start marrying those issues, doctoring the ball and then having pine tar and sunblock and going to your finger and having some rosin is the same thing. And it's not, and you know, as a hitter, it's not, it's just yeah. not the same no. thing, but we're, we've got it all now in one little universe. Somebody needs to come out and market a sticky substance and sell it to MLB and say, okay, this is the universal substance that everybody can use. That's right. You know, maybe, maybe it doesn't, it's not as sticky for as long and you have to go to it a little more often, but Hey, if you're an entrepreneur, entrepreneur out there and you're a chemist and you've got some kind of, you know, flubber type situation, you know, uh, substance that you can market, go out there and market that thing to the major league baseball. Maybe you'll go out there and uh, get a new, new marketing contract and be able to supply major league baseball with their new foreign substance that is league approved by Rob Manfred. I, I mean, you, it's your idea, Blummer. You know, yeah, you heard it here first. I was uh, listening to a podcast the other day, and guy has he has an idea for a book and a title, and he named it on a po- the podcast. Somebody's probably going to steal it, but no. I mean, he's a good writer; he's well known. <laughs> but it's funny; he already has the title for his next book, but he hasn't written it. That's like you; you're yeah. coming up with the magic idea, but we don't have the name of the substance or whatever it is. But you're right; let's market it. I mean, that's that that's kind of a good lead into the next thing, like TrackMan or Statcast. Um, we were talking about all these velocities, um, you know, how guys are throwing now 97, 98, 99, and 100. But I heard a really good point that now they're just using a different measuring stick. And I thought, yeah, that actually makes sense. Like guys aren't, mm-hmm. you know, if guys in my day threw 90 and now d- guys are throwing 100, it's not a true like, oh my gosh, guys are so much better and so much stronger. They're throwing 10 miles an hour faster on average. It doesn't work like that. So the measurement- Just being measured differently, you're right. That's right. And, and it's it's not all to measurement. I mean, now it, guys have pitching programs that are more extensive. Guys are, you know, focused on it. There's, um, you know, there's plenty of ways to increase- your arm strength and to tweak the system to get, you know, one, two, three more miles an hour out, whether it's like working on your mechanics or your, you know, your velocity or building up arm strength, there are always ways to improve. But if you add improvement over time, 
and you add a different measuring stick, then now you can be a little more, um, I think, realistic about why everybody's throwing 96, 97, 98. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas, you know, in my day, the hard throwers were like 92, 93, 94. I mean, that's just the way it works. So um, you you brought up the substance. I mean, you know, they went from track man to now that I guess they're going to stat cast or vice versa. We should have a company. Yeah, that Rap Soto is another one that's out there. Yeah. But there's cameras all over every major league stadium and every minor yeah. league stadium now that is measuring every metric out there. Yeah. And again, you know, this is this is where we, you know, we talk about it. You got to use both. You got to use statistics and you got to use the eyeball test, the old school, like what I see. But, you know, let's let's be honest. I mean, that's what the measuring stick is. If we're using this, let's be consistent using this. And I don't mean across mm -hmm. baseball. I mean, if I'm a scout or if I'm a if I'm a manager, I want to use the same measuring stick so that I know, you know, what the norm is or what's relative and what's above the norm. So I think um, to your point about the sticky substance, I mean, you know, let's, let's come up with a substance, like you said, that fits in there. That's not doctoring <laughs> the ball. Let's market it. And all right, they're going to use TrackMan for the measuring stick. They're going to use this sticky substance. Mm -hmm. um, and you can only chew David sunflower seeds and Copenhagen. That's it. So yeah. those, those are the because rules. Because you, you bought the licensing rights. That's right. Yeah. Hey, it's just <laughs> yeah. another marketing avenue. We're helping Rob Manfred here. Yeah. Make some money out of this whole situation, dude. Um, but you know what? Your point your point about the track man and, uh, and, and velocities and things like that and how they've changed and how we, how we measure players these days, you know, it's kind of interesting, you know, back in our day, it was the jugs gun or the Ray gun and guys that threw harder on the Ray gun felt like they threw harder overall because one would measure the velocity out of the hand. The other one would measure the velocity at home plate. So there's a big difference between out of the hand and at home plate. And I think that's what we're seeing now is a lot of the measurements as far as velocity. I don't know how deep we want to get into this, but the, the reason that velocity is up a little bit, I would imagine, is because a lot of the measurement is out of the hand as opposed to what it is at home plate. Absolutely. And most hitters, I mean, I'm sorry, most pitchers lose, they were saying anywhere from four to five miles an hour as the ball goes, you know, obviously, right, against the air and gravity mm -hmm. and all that, four to five miles an hour as it goes towards home plate. The other interesting piece there is that the hitters will let you know. I mean, you know, there's hit, there's hitters that I that's own. That's another and part like, of the eye test, though. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's what I mean. The hitters will let you know. I watched Urquidy throw the other day. I mean, dude, he was throwing fastballs right down the middle. And it was so funny to listen to your broadcast because it was like, wow, Urquidy, you know, he just gets right after these guys. And it's like he missed his spot like four times in a row. And <laughs> he did. But he was throwing 94, 95. It's like they are not seeing the baseball. They're not. And, I mean, there were a lot of good points. I mean, he was 0-2, 1-2 before guys could sneeze or blink. You know, it's like, I'm 0-2, uh-oh. I'm 1-2. Yeah, oh, he's going to trick me like, here. Oh. It's like, oh, right. yeah, right down the middle. But the hitters will tell you if they're picking up the baseball or not. And, I mean, mm -hmm. so – I've said this before, and I just had this conversation with a, a youth, uh, you know, couple little leaguers in my neighborhood um, and parents that are always like, hey, well, you know, when should I teach my kid a slider or a curveball? It's like, look, you don't want to get ahead of the game. Yeah, that curveball works when you're 11 or 12, right? You throw the junk ball and it tricks everybody. And it's like, look, yeah. when you can throw five fastballs knee high outside and five fastballs knee high inside, then, you know, work on a changeup. But I tell them all the time, like, you, they're getting the hitters let you know exactly what the what they're seeing and what they're not seeing. They'll always let you know that. Oh yeah. 
And, and that's the conversation when it goes back to the dugout, because you're right about Urquidy is a great example because he's a 92 to 95 guy, but he was blowing 93, 94 past the Boston Red Sox hitters. And you're going, good Lord, these guys don't even get catch up to it. And I guarantee you, every guy was going back to the dugout going, ignore the gun. It's, yeah. it's a hard 94, you know, and that just yeah. kind of gives you the idea that, man, you got to get this thing ready because the normal 94 we're accustomed to, this is a, has a little more life on it. Well, and, and, you know, this is where the, again, the statisticians, whatever, this was the other point I made to those guys is like the hitter will tell you, um, you know, and, and you don't need to throw a curveball. You need to command your pitches early on. That's going to make you a better mm. pitcher as you move on. Yep. And I had this conversation with Rick Peterson, the old Oakland A's pitching coach, um, who was a little bit of a scientist, a mad scientist, kind of a weird guy. Um, but he, I mean, velocity, the only time really that a radar gun is important is when you're getting drafted from a drafting perspective where they would look at <laughs> yeah. it and they want to know arm strength. And you know that very well. Like, I don't think, I mean, yeah, we see the velocity down everybody. You were just talking about Rikidi, but Greg Maddox, I mean, yeah, we see, we used to see that Maddox could throw 93, 94, 95, but most of his pitches were 86 to 89. Mm -hmm. I mean, the only time it's important is to get drafted. After that, it's about movement, location, and at addition and subtraction before velocity. And I think yes. now we saw Strasburg the other That's night. That's a lost art. Yeah, Strasburg went out of the game because his velocity was 89 and a half, which is totally not him. He's like 96 <laughs> usually. And so velocity can tell you what your arm strength is and the hitters will tell you if they see the ball or not, but velocity yep. is not what we think it is. Like you said, tell the Boston Red Sox that Arkady was throwing the ball 92 miles an hour, right down the middle. And they do not care. They do not give a shit. They're like, <laughs> whatever that was, it was magic ball, right? That's what he was throwing yeah, up there. The invisible. So, yeah. So it doesn't really matter. Right. The velocity. So yeah. No, it's an interesting concept. I, I love talking about that stuff too, because you have to involve you know, movement, uh, deception and the delivery. It can't just be, I'm going to come out there and throw a country, country hard fastball at everybody. Because even, even back in the day when Hank Aaron was hitting baseballs, he had a great interview where he goes, right. He said he would sit off speed because he knew nobody in the big leagues could beat him with a fastball. He said, you could stand on the mound and I would get wood on a bullet. That's what and said. that kind of gives you the indication. If you throw hard and you throw straight, most big league hitters are going to be able to get a bat to it. Uh, you have to be able to plus and minus. I think that's really a lost art is how guys actually add and subtract mileage to all of their pitches to create more movement, more deception, get guys out in front, and then beat them when you can. Uh, but it's a lost art. Uh, how about uh, you got anything else? I know that we uh, usually have a Weddle Tuttle say, uh, yeah. but uh, you spark my interest here, buddy. Well, I was just going to finish finish that thought because you just brought up another thing with get you know getting wood on a bullet is that I think it's I, I do I know it's a lost art and I, I I've said this before you know if I have any regret it's that that craft part like we know mm -hmm. the guys at the highest level when you listen to LeBron and the NBA guys talk or an NFL quarterback or major league hitters and pitchers for that matter they're really um, intellectual. I mean, you can't just get to the big leagues based on, oh, I have a strong arm and I have no idea what I'm doing. You have to combine competitive nature, God-given ability, and then some sort of thought behind it. I mean, you and I both play with guys like, oh, see ball, hit ball, you know, and they're those rare guys that could just get up there and like, you know, oh, here I go, I'm just going to hit it. And then they hit it. And you're like, how does he do that? I mean, you know, as a hitter, you had to think your way through at bats. And I think that the addition yeah. subtraction, I'm, I, that's my one regret is that I could have been a more artful pitcher. I had the smarts, I had the determination, had some skill, but the, the you know, 
going to Greg Maddox's theory earlier, right? Like I'm going to sink this ball and Granky. I mean, Granky throws a curveball at 75, at 72, at 65. It's like, you know, unbelievable to watch him sustain himself while being, it is. And hitters hate that. Hitters hate it. I texted you. I want to, if I wanted to go back to the big leagues, I would be that Adams guy from San Diego. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like 86 mile an hour slider, 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 slider. And then he'll throw a fastball out of the zone. Slider, slider, slider. He throws 84% like sliders. Guys <laughs> hate did. that. I mean, you'll yeah. get a hold of one every once in a while, but guys hate that. Yeah, throw me a straight one. Right. So why didn't I just do that? Or like go sidearm and go slider, slider, slider. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of guys reinvented themselves. So again, maybe that's a little regret on my part. But man, I just thought if I could go back in time, I would just do that. Like I would just do that and get to the big leagues and then see what happens after that. Yeah. So anyway, um, so what'll Tuttle say? We're going to change gears here. Blummer, I know you'll have some thoughts on this, but uh, I drive around for my job quite a bit. And, uh, you know, you take the family out to dinner and you see things. But Tuttle driving stories are the best. Oh, they are. And well, you have driving <laughs> stories too, AirPods or whatever. But uh, oh, yeah. So I see it all the time, but it's it's typically employees, but it's like people and employees stealing <laughs> stealing the best parking spots. Oh, like I don't understand. Like that's that's again uh, most of my what'll Tuttle says are like, you know, moral compass things. Like how do you gauge, yeah, put the shopping know? cart back? Damn it! Yeah, that's right. So there you go. <laughs> so this is like I see employees all the time at medical offices, uh, at the mall. They'll pull up right in front of their retail store. Like, you know, I was going to the store the other day and it's the employee and you go out there and they're on lunch break and they're sitting in the like a one spot. You're like, what? I mean, that's the worst thing for business. So you're making your customers drive around the lot and look for a good parking spot while you're sitting there in the a one spot. Like, when did that become a thing? Like I worked at the mall in the off season when I was a minor leaguer making a thousand dollars a month for five months or six months. (laughs) And they, they used to have employee during Christmas, they would make us park like eight lots over and we'd have to take a bus over to the mall. Like, I mean, like save the parking for the people that are going to spend their money at your store. And now, you know, being a little more successful, or if I was running a business, I'd be the same way. Like I, I just, I would park as far away as possible. I see way too many people with handicap placards that do not need the handicap placards. (laughs) My, 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 grandmother was 97 and my father, my dad got a handicap placard because when he would take her places, mm-hmm. she couldn't walk very far. She was 97. So he would yeah, we'll call that the Bob Euchre pass. I must be in the front right. row. There you go. So she, he would park somewhere to take her to Denny's at five in the afternoon for, you know, the early bird <laughs> special four 30 in the afternoon for dinner. Wine and dine. There you go. But when he had that placard all the time, right? He had it a hundred percent of the time in his car. When my grandmother, God rest her soul, as they say, when she wasn't with him, did he once pull that card out and park in a handicap spot? No, no, because it's not the right thing to do. People, it is just wow. not the right thing to do. He was not, I mean, he's a, he's a for, shining example of morality. He is not. That's my point. He just did the right thing. Like, shouldn't we all do the right thing? I am so sick and tired of watching employees pull into the front spot and be like, all right, you know, I just finished my food. Now I'm going to go in and sit behind the thing. I mean, Blummer, you have to have seen this before. So this now it turned into two subjects, right? Who needs the handicap placard and who doesn't? And why are employees stealing the front row spot? This is something that the mailbag could probably help us answer. You, if you work in a store, do not take front row parking. Thank you. 
Yeah, no, and, and it's kind of funny, you know, it's, it's like, it should be like that year round, but it's most notably, like you're saying, during, you know, seasonal events, whether it be Christmas or, you know, uh, what's the Thanksgiving Day, Black Friday or whatever it is, where they put everybody in the back row and then, the, you know, the customers have uh, access to the front row. But, I, you know, it goes to a lot of things that you've talked about in the past on our Bleacher Blums podcast. If you want to go back and listen to Tuttle Rant, it's customer service. When did the customer not become the priority? Right. You know, th- that's that's the issue. And as far as you, the 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 parking with the handicapped is hilarious because I literally had the other day, I thought I was moving on the, on the, on the tollway out here at a pretty good clip. You know, I'm moving. I, I don't feel like anybody's on up on me. And I see this car start flying up behind me and he's flashing his brights at me, you know, ramming up on me at like 80 miles an hour. And I kind of glance at my rearview mirror. Guess what he's got hanging from the mirror? The handicap. handicap. Yeah. yeah. He's just got the handicap. And he's like, fur, fur, you know, flashing yeah. his brights. Get out of the way, dude. And it, and it, sure enough, it's like this 35-year-old dude just hauling ass past me on the on the tollway with his, you know, anxious to get that early parking spot up in front. And the funny part about the handicap thing is, is you basically get two spots to park in. How do they miss? They miss. They don't park in it. They park, they take up both spots and like make it tough for the one spot, the normal spot next to them. They might be handicapped parkers. That might be their handicap. Oh, you never that's know. what it is. Yeah. So, you know, what's funny about that too, is I had the same experience. I had a truck, like a Dodge truck come up behind me the other day and it had not just the placard, it has the actual plate, you know, the disabled plate in California oh, yeah. actually has the, I mean, which isn't a knock on disabled people. It's like, they were going 85 no, and they were if, on if my you're legit bumpers. and you need this. But again, it goes back to the few, the few people that don't use it appropriately ruin it for everybody else. Right. Oh, now we're back to the bad apple. I like it. Yeah. But anyway, this all started out as a, an employee rant. I just don't understand the mentality of somebody who wants to run a business or, you know, I mean, obviously it's, it's the six degrees of separation. The owner would never park there. It's the employees that don't really care about the business and mm-hmm. they park there. And it's, I just think it's bad etiquette. So, you know, again, I'm grumpy yeah. old guy, handicapped people, like you said, park <laughs> between the lines, use the handicapped spots. If you legitimately need them, employees do not take prime parking. I mean, we all want a nice parking spot. As a matter of fact, you mentioned during the holidays, I'll just park like 50 rows away and walk. Like, I mean, I'm fine oh, walking, man. but I don't want to fight the, you know, seeing more fights and backing mm-hmm. in and that was my spot. Like, no, 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 I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm too happy for that too stuff. Much. So anyway, that, that yeah. was my rant for the day. So uh, if anybody has any kind of counter arguments to that, or they want to kind of chime in on the, uh, the uh, employees taking the prime parking, please hit up the mailbag at bleacherblums.com and next podcast, we will uh, touch on that. Yeah, we'll definitely get after the mailbag a little bit. And like Tuttle, Tuttle said, if you've if you've got uh, things that are bothering you or you'd like us to opine on something like that, uh, get to the bleacherblums.com, get in that mailbag, let us know, and make sure that you're rating and reviewing and subscribing. You can still find us on every podcast platform there is out there. I know that the Blue Wire Network is going to do a great job of distributing this podcast And I think that we are going to end this podcast because I've got nothing left. My brain is a little bit fried, but we are going to be coming at you every week. And also, this is what I wanted to say. I wanted to make sure that everybody got to that mailbag or tweet at us because you can reach uh, Tuttle at Real David Tuttle on Twitter. You can reach myself at Blummer27 on Twitter. We are going to do a better job. We are going to make a concerted effort to try and get some more interviews and maybe have some interaction with, with people around sports. 
So make sure that you get in that mailbag and let us know who you would like to have us speak with and maybe grab for about 15, 20 minutes and pick their brain a little bit. Because I think that's something that we want to change a little bit on the Bleacher Blums podcast is be a little more interactive with fans and be a little more interactive with those inside the sport so that we can have those conversations. And uh, we always end every Bleacher Blums podcast by recognizing we just had Memorial Day. So we recognized a lot of those military uh, veterans and armed forces veterans that uh, made the ultimate sacrifice for us to have our freedom and laid down their lives for us. So we appreciate all those in the past. We appreciate all of those currently who are out there uh, risking um, themselves for the greater good of, of the United States. And of course, first responders and frontline workers uh, here on the Bleacher Blums podcast. We appreciate you if you are here listening to us. We know that we have plenty of people abroad who actually are in the military listening to this, so we thank you for everything you're doing. Tuttle, give us some last words and fire us out of here on this episode of Bleacher Blums, man. Yeah, uh, again, we're just uh, grateful to be on the uh, Blue Wire Podcast Network. Hopefully, we're going to increase the listenership, and uh, if you guys didn't hear this at the outset or didn't hear it uh, on the podcast prior, I mean, these are just two guys that uh, enjoy uh, talking about our old profession and our uh, new profession, I guess, is fatherhood and baseball, and uh if you have any topics or anything that you uh, would like us, as as Jeff said, to opine on, then please uh, reach out to us via the mailbag on bleacherblums.com. We encourage everybody to listen to this podcast. Uh, busy week, slow week, any week. Uh, get after it and believe it. <laughs>